facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A magnificent Monday to you. It's so good to be with you. We're off to the dawn of another week. So glad to have you with me on the journey. 888-914-914. 9149 is the number to call toll-free to talk to me on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. You can also email the program. It's great to hear from you that way. C-A-L-E, kale at relevantradio.com is the email address, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. You can also try getting your question or comment to me that way as well on that fine service. <laughs> I guess some people don't think it's fine, but it's now run by Elon Musk. I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about the future of this show. We've got a lot to talk about, and I'm so excited to break it down with you. Big surprise out of Rome today, unless you're a Vaticanista of sorts, if you're a veteran Vatican watcher, maybe like Ashley Nerona, who reports for this network from Rome. Maybe she knew about this. I certainly didn't know about this. Pope Francis today, this morning at 11 a.m. Rome time, dropped a new apostolic letter. And it's all about Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal, who wrote his famous Ponces, you know, in, in the 17th century. And the Ponces simply means thoughts. But they're great thoughts. And a lot of them have become aphorisms or maxims that are still used today. And Pascal was a brilliant, brilliant guy, not only in terms of the faith, but also in terms of science, in terms of inventions. He basically invented the computer. I didn't know that until, until today. But, um, of course, most of us are, are famous with the, with the argument called Pascal's Wager, one of the most brilliant arguments ever devised for God. We can talk about that as well. So this, this letter that Pope Francis put out, and, and, and every once in a while he'll do this, and he did this a while back with St. Jerome. He, he popped out a letter on St. Jerome, which was really, really good, which was really good about the great biblical scholar and sage of the church um, who did so much to translate the scriptures and promote, promote the Bible, promote the Word of God. And, you know, that's right up my alley. I really enjoyed his letter on St. Jerome, and I talked about it on this program. So this one was, uh, again, something I didn't see coming, but I, I did get a chance to look at it, and you should as well. It's there on the Vatican website. If you just Google apostolic letter on uh, Blaise Pascal, and Blaise is spelled B-L-A-I-S-E, uh, not Blaise like a fire, but, but it's kind of interesting that I mentioned fire because Blaise Pascal himself had something called the Night of Fire. I'll talk about that in a second. It's, it's pretty wild stuff. Once again, the number to call, 888 if you want to react to any of the stuff that I'll say if you have a question comment love to hear from you triple eight nine one four nine one four nine's kale clark show on relevant radio so this is actually believe it or not this is part of a series that pope francis is going to be doing he's he's already kind of without really telling us it's a series he's started it already he's got this letter about blaise pascal and again this is really good spiritual reading it's not that long uh you could you know well, we probably won't be able to cover what he's what he said in the letter today. I might have to talk about it a little bit tomorrow as well. But um, I definitely encourage you to download it. Maybe we can post a link to it as well in the show notes. Um, yeah, it's good spiritual reading. So he's he he did one on St. Jerome a while back. That's not really part of this series, but he's doing Blaise Pascal today, which came out today. And I already told you a few days ago, he's putting out one on St. Therese of Lisieux. We talked about her a few days ago because he said, hey, I'm going to be dropping a letter on her as well. Also, he's going to be putting out one on Dante Alighieri. 
the famous author of Dante's Inferno. Now, why is he doing this? What, well, he, he thinks that all of these guys, whether it's Blaise Pascal, whether it's St. Therese, whether it's Dante, he calls them beacons for the modern contemporary world. Beacons for the world. And, and Pascal is a really good beacon for the world because, in fact, you might remember this. Maybe you've read this book. Uh, Dr. Peter Kraft, a friend of the program, he once wrote a book about Pascal and his Ponces, and it was called Christianity for Modern Pagans, published by Ignatius Press. And he says, man, Pascal is just totally dialed into the way people think, even though he's writing in the 1600s. He's so relevant today for modern men and women. And so what, one of the things that Pope Francis said, starting off his letter, I'm just going to share a couple highlights uh, from the first half of the letter. He talked about how Blaise Pascal, even when he was a kid, now he was born. Now, the reason why he's writing this, why this came out today, by the way, is today is the 400th anniversary of his birthday. It's essentially his 400th birthday. He was born on the 19th of June in 1623 in Clermont, or Clermont, as they say in France, in central France. And ever since he was a kid, uh, Pope Francis says, Blaise Pascal devoted his life to pursuing truth. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's all he wanted. That's all he wanted. And he, he, he used reason to, to seek the truth. And reason is, is obviously crucial when it comes to seeking the truth. Uh, we know about Pope, um, his predecessor, Pope John Paul II, his famous encyclical, Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason. He said they were like wings. You need both of them to fly, to fly to God. And so Pascal was really looking for reason and traces of truth in, in all kinds of different fields, mathematics, geometry, physics, philosophy, and he's really well known, of course, as a philosopher, great discoveries. And he was really famous when he was really, really young. When he was only a child, his, his father was like marveling at his intellect and the stuff that he could figure out all on his own. And then when he was later on, when he was only 17, he was hanging out with the greatest intellectuals of his time. But he, it wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough to be sort of the boy wonder. He wanted the truth. And, and, he, and he was very restless, the Pope said. He had a restless spirit. He was a tireless seeker of truth. And he was open to ever new, ever greater horizons. He also lived in an age of philosophical and religious skepticism. And that's exactly what we're living in today. And I think that's why Peter Crave wrote that book, Christianity for Modern Pagans, because we too live in an age of philosophical skepticism. People don't think that truth is knowable. They don't think it's discoverable. We live in this age of relativism where people say that there is no truth. There is no absolute truth. There's only individual truth, your truth, my truth. You can, <laughs> we, we've heard, we've all heard the saying, you know, um, and it's, it, there's a great saying in, in the Bible, as a man thinks, so he is. We have to be very, very careful with our, with our thought life. I think, therefore, I am and now people are basically saying, I am whatever I think I am. I, I'm choosing my own reality, if you will. But this is not reality, as we know. There, there also is a huge wave of religious skepticism, especially concerning the Catholic Church, I would say. And, and you can see why people are skeptical. If you put yourself in a skeptic's shoes, in an unbeliever's shoes, they're, they're, think about all the scandals that have occurred in recent decades. Hardly motives of credibility. Uh, for the church. However, people obviously need to look beyond that. There always have been sinners in the church, and it's very difficult to do so, especially if, if you or someone you know has been hurt 
that is going to obviously affect the way that you look at things. It's going to be tough to overcome. But yet it could be overcome, and it can be overcome with God's love and forgiveness. So you're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Just thinking about this letter from uh, Pope Francis about Blaise Pascal. This is really interesting. He says this, and I'm going to quote him here for a second. He said, I believe that it is fitting to describe Pascal as a man marked by a fundamental attitude of awe and openness to all reality. I, I like that, end of quote. So he says, Pascal is a man marked by a fundamental attitude of awe, A-W-E, <laughs> the grandeur of God. And there, there is a lot of stuff in the natural world to to be awe-inspired by in God's creation. The heavens are telling the glory of God. And I remember the late Father Thomas Dubay, he, he wrote this book called Faith and Certitude. He also wrote um, some other marvelous works. And he talks about he talked about macro marvels and mini marvels. He talked about, yeah, we can look at big ticket items like the rings of Saturn and and the Hubble telescope and what we can see through that and just be blown away by the grandeur of God in, in creation. These macro big ticket items, the Grand Canyon, things like that, they're grand. But then there are also the, the mini marvels. We look at the intricate body of, of an insect, for example, or... Just this weekend, just out walking with my family, we happened upon these these tiny little flowers in the field. And they were just so small, but they were so beautiful and so intricate. God does that. He's a God of beauty and, and a God of wonder. So Pascal was certainly open to being awestruck by God. And we, we should never lose that that childlike awe and wonder uh, when we when we view the handiwork of God. But also this idea that he this openness to all reality. This openness to all reality, that really characterized Pascal. And that should really characterize us as Catholics as well, that we're open to all reality, because all reality is God's reality, just like all truth is God's truth. So we've got to be open to it. And to misquote the most interesting man in the world, the Dos Ecus guy, stay curious, my friends. Stay curious, my friends. We've got to be curious about reality. We've got to be open to everything. And that's what Pascal was like. His, his, his mind was just so vast and so interesting. And in the year 1661, in Paris, he actually invented the first public transport system in history. And it was called the Five Penny Coaches. I have no idea what this thing was. I didn't have time to look it up. I don't know if it was like an elaborate horse and buggy network or something, but it was, a, it was the first public transportation system. So you could say that Pascal is the father of modern subways, I guess. High-speed bullet trains. He kind of invented this whole idea of moving people around. And so that, that's pretty amazing. But then he also, he, he was involved in science, mathematics, industry, all this sort of stuff. But then he also had this spiritual life going on as well. He, was, he cared about the natural world, but he also cared about the supernatural world. And it all belongs to God. And he had this incredible... Really, his conversion moment, it was really dramatic. And it, and it happened with something that he called the Night of Fire. The Night of Fire. This happened on the 23rd of November in 1654. Blaise Pascal was 31 years old at the time. And this was a, a wild experience. And I actually am going to read to you his notes about that night, the, the Night of Fire, what he actually said. It's, it, so you're not going to want to miss this. So hang, hang on for this. 
So he had, he had that going on. He had this mystical encounter with God, which I'll tell you about. But he also was able to explain and defend the Catholic faith in a way that was very relevant to people of his time. The Pope calls it a masterful intellectual defense of the Christian faith. So he was a man of his time, the Pope says, who was able to really reach people with the questions that, that troubled his age. He was able to provide answers. But he also cared about the material needs of people. And, and he got very, very sick. And he died when he was only 39 years old. So it's amazing how much these guys were able to accomplish uh, back in the day in very, very short, relatively short lifespans. I, I guess they weren't spending a whole lot of time on the Internet or scrolling Twitter. They, they got some stuff done. And when he was only 39 years old, he got really, really sick. And he said this shortly before he died. And there was a, at this time, there's still hope that he could recover. He said, quote, if the physicians tell the truth and God grants that I recover from this sickness, I am resolved to have no other work or occupation for the rest of my life except to serve the poor, end of quote. So as brilliant as he was, as smart as he was, he said, he basically said to God, if I recover from this somehow, and he didn't, but if I am somehow able to recover, I, I want to spend the rest of my life serving the poor. And, and that is it's kind of not what you would expect. It, it, it's, it definitely goes against human reasoning. If you're that brilliant, if you're that learned, if you're that smart, if you're that talented, I mean... He basically could be like the Tony Stark of his day, right? I mean, maybe I'm going to make an Iron Man suit next. I don't know. But he said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Even though I am, I created the computer, and it was basically like a, a primitive calculator. But essentially, it was like the first computer. I, I could go on, and I could be an academic. I could, I could walk the, the, the hallowed halls of academia. I could be in the ivory tower. And that's important work. This intellectual work is very important. It has a big trickle-down effect on society. And... It's like the snow-capped mountain peaks. Eventually, it's going to melt, and it's going to get down into the valley. So these ideas get from the top of the mountain to, to everybody else. And, and, and that's why it's really important that people in these positions be holy and be after ultimate truth with a capital T, be, be searching for this person of Jesus Christ. Because it's very easy to go off the rails. It's very easy to divorce uh, the intellectual life from truth and from spirituality with devastating consequences. So ideas have consequences, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, in the coming moments as well. But he could have done that. He could, that could have been his plan, or he could have created incredible inventions and been an Elon Musk-type figure and, and, and just pound away at that stuff. But then, no, it's, it's like I wanted to serve the poor. And, and you know that, that Pope Francis loved writing that because he always talks about, I want a poor church to serve the poor. He's very concerned about that. And so Blaise Pascal wanted to, as the Pope says, quote, devote his energies to works of mercy. There's nothing more pressing than this. Devote his energies to works of mercy. This, and he saw that the sole object of Scripture is love, is charity. That's what it's all about. It's not about just knowing about the love of God. It's actually about loving. And this is where we have to get into this night of fire, this, this fire of God's love, because that, that is absolutely crucial. All right, let me, let me just share this with you, and then you can call in and kind of react to this, and I, I'll take your phone calls, 888 
914-914-9149. I want to share with you what he said this night of fire, what happened to him. This mystical experience that he had with God. Now, how do we know about this? Well, he wrote it down. He wrote it down. And this is a good reminder. It's good to keep a prayer journal, you know, stuff that God reveals to you and stuff that you're going through. After he died, they found that he actually wrote it down. And you can see pictures of this on the internet, of his actual writing of this, this night of fire. And he wrote it down on a piece of paper and he, and he sewed it inside of his jacket. So in the inside lapel of his, of his jacket. And he, he always wanted it to be with him, close to his heart, because he always wanted to remember what God did for him that night. So this is, this is what he said. He said, obviously translating here, by Blaise Pascal, the year of grace, 1654. Monday, the 23rd of November, feast of St. Clement, Pope and Martyr, and others in the martyrology. Vigil of St. Chrysogenus, Martyr and others, from about half past 10 at night until about half past midnight. So again, 10.30 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. And then he just said, and by the way, everything I'm reading here, these are just like individual lines on the paper, separated. Fire. From about half past 10 at night till half past midnight, the next line is just fire, all caps. It's like he's screaming, you know. When people write you a message or a text in all caps, maybe they just forget to turn off caps lock, but sometimes it's like screaming in print, right? Fire. F-I-R-E. Fire. God of Abraham. God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. That's a little line from the book of Ruth, by the way. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, joy, joy. Tears of joy. I have departed from him. They have forsaken me, the fount of living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me be not separated from him forever. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I left him. I fled him. Renounced. Crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation. Total and sweet. Complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my spiritual director eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. Okay, so that was his night of fire. And this was a transformative experience for him. So he just wrote down all the thoughts that God gave him, all the, all the, the experiences. And as you could tell, a lot of that stuff was scriptural verses that came to him. And this is why it's a good good reason to read the Bible on a regular basis because these, these verses will come back to you sometimes when you need them and whatever the, the Holy Spirit just maybe brought them to his mind as he was experiencing all this stuff but when he said this is eternal life that they know you the one true God and the one that you sent Jesus Christ that comes from the Gospel of John obviously and so this idea of I, I love what he said eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth and 
by that, I think he meant that life is short. You know, it's just going to seem like a day, you know, when it's all said and done. But eternity is long. Eternity is forever. That's why it's so important to be right with God and to, to, to have this at the forefront of our mind. So I don't know what you guys think about this, but that, that was his famous night of fire, Blaise Pascal. So there's so much to this guy other than just the, the pawn says, other than Pascal's wager. You're listening to the Kale Clark show, triple eight, nine, one, four, nine, one, four, nine. We'll hear from you. Your phone calls right after this break, triple eight, nine, one, four, nine, one, four, nine. Be right back. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. So glad to be talking to you today. We're going to take your calls in just a second. Talking about the sort of surprise letter from the Pope today about Blaise Pascal. And uh, really interesting stuff. I, I definitely recommend that you check it out. And we talked to, just before the break about the famous night of fire uh, that Pascal had, where he had this incredible mystical experience with God and so many interesting things about his life. He essentially invented the computer. Um, he invented the first public transport system in society, plus just a brilliant philosopher, brilliant mind, brilliant intellect, who was really concerned about reaching the people of his day and was just kind of open to everything. Let's go to the phones right now. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Dean in Stockton, California. Hi, Dean. Kale, I am so, so happy that you're talking about Blaise Pascal today and that the Pope has written this letter. Um, almost 50 years ago, I was studying a great books program in a secular school in New oh, Mexico. Yeah. And uh, we read um, a number of, uh, of, of theological works, too, because that was part of Western culture. And I loved Blaise Pascal, his work on conic sections, his work in science, and, um, and of course, his pensées. But I never, I never really knew about his Night of Fire. So yeah, thank you for sharing either. that, because it, it just proves, you know, at that time I was part of an Eastern group. I won't explain it too much, but we were looking to um, enlightenment. And when I read these great books, I go, man, we don't need to leave behind the Western traditions right here. Mm. And that was instrumental in my becoming Catholic. At that point, I was in spiritual limbo, and I and after that, I just began my, my trajectory towards the Catholic Church. Um, I have such high regard for classical education, and we've got to fight for that. That our young people learn yeah. to read, and that and that because it's the pursuit of the fullness of truth that lead us to God, just like Aristotle and and um, Aquinas and Augustine and others have shown us. Yeah, and uh, the, the last thing I want to say, Kiel, is that yeah, yeah, last thing ahead. I want to mention is that I'm so I, I'm so excited that that he decided he was going to. I don't think it's just because he was afraid of dying. I think he just that he decided, you know, that his life, if it was given back to him, would be in God's hands. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Albert Schweitzer, but he dedicated the um, last part of his life to serving lepers in Africa, and yet he was brilliant too. So, um, kudos! Thanks so much for for sharing with us today. Well, Dean, Dean, stay on the line for a second. That's a really yeah. interesting story um, about how you were you were sort of like looking at Eastern mysticism a little bit. And, and then Pascal was was so instrumental in you becoming Catholic. What what was it specifically about Pascal's writings that really got you? That you, really intrigued you? The lucidity, clarity—it's um, just brilliant. I mean, we started with Euclid's um, elements and other 
books that, that, that just lay out truth, you know, truth in mathematics, truth in science. But I, I saw that across the board, especially with the person that's involved in so many disciplines, so many different areas of study like Pascal, that there's a, there's a uniformity, there's a parallelness, there's a, there's a harmony, there's a symphony of, of all these different um, disciplines leading us to the truth. It's like God speaking to us in all these different languages, and um, through the power wow. of Pentecost, we can learn these languages, you know? The languages are, are whatever we discover in math. And the current trend today to say that all this is racist and all this is, you know, forget that, man. We need to get our kids back, you know, to, to understanding that God speaks to us in the fullness of creation. Like you said, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing, the, the classical form of education. Just like mm-hmm. Mozart was in music, that's what Pascal was to the other disciplines. Uh, that's a, that's a really that's really well said, Dean. And it's almost like a diamond, you know, all these elements of truth, you know, pointing at the truth uh, from all these different disciplines, philosophy, science. Uh, I just love it. It's so interesting. And and what you're saying too about the the great books programs and and there's so many great uh, post secondary education and even secondary education Catholic schools that really offer a great foundation for students in that. And that's something I wish I had had growing up, but. Uh, if you've ever met a graduate, and we have some great ones, uh, John Hanready, who works with us here at Relevant Radio from the University of Dallas, he studied there, and you can really tell, like anybody who graduates from a program like that, or the University of Mary, or there's so many other great schools, Ave Maria, that they, there's something different about them. They're just able to interact with different ideas and concepts and, and literature, and they just think so well. It's just such a great gift uh, to be able to give a young person, and and so it's awesome that you got to experience that and discover. Pascal, and, and he was really someone that God used to lead you to Catholicism. Hey, Dean, great phone call. Call back anytime, man. Really a pleasure to hear from you. A lesson, Kel. Let's get him canonized. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's it. that's it. That's it. That's that's okay. that's a. And that actually, so you got it, Dean. And that lets uh that leads me very well into into the next phone call here from Didi. Didi, welcome back, Didi in Phoenix. Uh, hi. Yeah. Wow. Uh, uh, wow. The guy before me. Great, great call. Huh? Oh, great call. His energy, my goodness. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, you've got you know, lots of energy of too, Didi, as always. Well, not really. But anyway, of course, <laughs> uh, Pascal is famous for his Pascal wager, meaning mm-hmm. uh, being a Christian is a win-win situation. Yes. But I have two questions. Uh, sure. Number one, uh, is he considered a saint in the Catholic Church? And my second question is, uh, uh, Pope's, uh, Pope, Pope Francis' letter about him, is it considered infallible or profound spiritual guidance about Pascal? Yeah, I, I would say, well, first of all, just to answer that second question, it's not an infallible statement or anything like that. He's not intending to make an infallible statement. Uh, there's certain very, very strict conditions. It's only ever been done a couple of times in all of history. Um, the dogma of the assumption, for example, uh, in 1950 is one great example. So he's got to be doing it ex cathedra fr- at the Lateran Basilica from the cathedral chair, which is, and everybody forgets the Pope's Basilica church is actually St. John Lateran. It's not uh, St. Peter's in Rome's. Most people know that, but some don't. And he has to be intending to speak infallibly uh, on an issue of faith and morals for the whole church. That's not what he's doing here. What he's just basically providing is, yeah, spiritual guidance, essentially, for the church. He's issuing it. I think it's a very, very good practice, obviously, uh, throughout history for Catholics to be kind of aware. And 
they weren't always aware. I mean, for centuries, no one really knew what was going on in Rome. But now, thank God, we can really say through the advent of the Internet technology, we can read this stuff instantaneously. Uh, as soon as it's out, we can read about it. And, uh, yeah, it's just to build up the church. Uh, he's writing as a, as a universal pastor, if you will. So now with, with respect to uh, Blaise Pascal being canonized, as our previous caller, Dean, said, let's get him canonized. Well, the way to do that, obviously, is to to pray and ask God for a miracle. And I don't know if there is currently an open cause for Blaise Pascal, whether anybody's open that or not. Um, and we were talking off air, producer Gemini, that, that there is a St. Blaise, and I, I, I was like, who is it? I kind of slipped my mind. It's so obvious. Obviously, St. Blaise, the bishop and martyr, who was martyred around 1,700 years ago. And, and remember the blessing of the throats, right, which we do. Uh, and he was, uh, he actually, he died in a pretty gnarly way. He was beaten with wool combs and, and beheaded, just for good measure. That's uh, quite a way to go. It was a, a wild and woolly uh, martyrdom, that's for sure. But um, anyway, so no, Blaise Pascal, not canonized, but... Um, Maybe he will be one day. Uh, hopefully we all will be. You know, at least we have to be at least canonizable saints, whether we'll get our own feast day. Uh, some will. But <laughs> the, the point is, hey, we need to be in a state of grace. We need to be in God's friendship. We need to be holy. And uh, try, 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 try. And God will do the heavy lifting, of course, uh, to become a canonizable saint. Uh, don't just try to get into heaven by the skin of your teeth. That's a low bar, right? What happens if you miss? If that's your target. So don't do it. Aim for the glory. Yeah, go for it. All right, let's go now to John in Encinitas, California, in the San Diego area. Hi, John. Hello. I almost called you Blaze. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not him. But, uh, but yeah. Hey. <laughs> but, um, uh, Kale, he has a great quote. Um, and uh, a quote is, is something that resonates but then where's the practicality to it the quote is the the heart has reasons the mind cannot know of Hmm. the heart Hmm. has reasons the mind cannot know of saint augustine said cor ad cor loquitur Hmm. when we look at uh, jesus on the cross and he looks down at his mother his mind had nothing to do with what his heart was doing at that moment when he gave to John, the mother of God, to all mankind. The heart has reasons the mind cannot know of. Yeah, Love alone. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's, this is a this is kind of what um, what the Pope was saying in his letter when he was talking about Pascal and his his desire to serve the poor. The the sole object of scripture is charity, is love. And that's kind of the love that he came into contact with, John, I think, in this night of fire. And what was great about it, too, is that he had both. Like, he did have the intellectual um, look at the faith. We have to love God with all our mind, soul, strength, heart, everything that we've got, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And, of course, Christ had all of that, you know, the perfect man, the God-man, everything kind of working in perfect harmony. And... So I, I think it's like a total, when, he, when he's giving Mary to us, I think it's a total um, gift of the the divine person, Jesus Christ, uh, to us, to the church. But yeah, I, I do agree with that. Of course, this whole famous line, that the heart has reasons, the reason knows nothing about, you know, and and yet the heart has a certain wisdom too, doesn't it? And and, and this is... um. 
this is a great mystery. It's a great mystery. You know, sometimes you know, right? Uh, when I fell in love with my wife, I knew that I knew that I knew. And it wasn't always that way. When I was in, in the past, you know, I'd, if I was dating someone else, I would always very unromantically drop a list of pros and cons. That's not, yeah, hey, the ledger's looking pretty good. No, that's not exactly the ideal necessarily, but but it has to make sense too. Obviously, it certainly has to make sense, these relationships. And and yeah, there are, I, I do think though, there's different types of knowledge and different types of, of knowing God and, and the heart, um, the seat of, of the will of the person, uh, emotion, uh, all that sort of stuff uh, is not to be discounted because I, I, I think when we when we don't look at things holistically as Catholics, we can get into a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. And that's one thing actually that, that Pope Francis does talk about uh, in his letter as well. So thank, thank you so much for that call, John, in California. So let's, let's just keep going here. Now, I'm not, not going to talk about the whole letter. I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more tomorrow, but I do think you should definitely check it out. And uh, just, just reading the first little bit of it, one of the things that, that Pascal is really, really good at, and Aquinas talked about this as well, is that everybody's looking for happiness. This is why he's so relevant to our times, Pascal, that all people, this is what Pascal said in his Ponce, is, quote, all people think, seek to be happy. All people seek to be happy. This is true without exception, whatever the different means they employ, all tend to the same goal. So everybody wants to be happy, but a lot of people don't know how to get there. And this is where we have to help them to find happiness in Christ. The pursuit of authentic happiness, as Pope Francis puts it uh, in, in our letter. And this is the true happiness. There, there are certain things that will make you feel good, but it will not make you very happy in the end. It will not resonate with joy. And even criminals, the, the crimes they commit, they think it's going to make them somehow happier in the end, or the sins that people commit, they think it's somehow going to make them happier in the end. That's why they do it. That's why they do it. But we, we just can't figure this out. We can't even figure ourselves out apart from apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ. And here's another quote from, from the letter. He, uh, Pope Francis says, Pascal proposed to speak of man and God. It was because he had arrived at the certainty that and he's quoting Pascal here. Not only do we know God solely through Jesus Christ, but we know ourselves solely through Jesus Christ. We do not know life and death except through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we understand neither our life nor our death, neither God nor ourselves. Hence, without the scriptures, which speak solely of Jesus Christ, we know nothing and we see only darkness. End of quote. So that's, that's Pascal there, that, that last little bit. So it's really powerful, and it's very, very much in line with what Vatican II said, that only in Jesus Christ does the mystery of, of humanity become clear. We can't figure out who we are apart from Jesus Christ, because he, is, he created us, right? Everything came into being through his powerful word. The word of God made flesh is Jesus Christ, obviously, and he's the second Adam, and he's kind of the pattern for, for our lives. So we, we have to figure this out. Um, but but how, do we, how do we present this? I think this is, this is part of the question here. And one of the things that Pope Francis said is that we have this temptation that we need to avoid to present our faith as an incontestable certainty evident to everyone. An incontestable certainty. So now maybe to you and me it might seem obvious, but it's not that obvious to secular people. And... 
it's sometimes easy to say, man, how could somebody not get this? You know, the facts are out there. The truth is out there. It's like the X-Files. You can Google the stuff. You can do the research. You can figure out there's there's good evidence for Jesus Christ. The other day we did a show about the evidence for Christ being a historical person. People are still doubting that. Well, the, ev- like, the evidence is out there, and it's hard to sometimes see how uh, a person of goodwill could not figure this out. But it's not that obvious to everybody. There is a lot of ignorance out there. There is a, a lack of knowledge out there. And so I think, what, I think what Pope Francis is trying to say that when he says we can't present it as an incontestable certainty, um, we can't be sort of triumphalistic about it. And it, I always, I always feel like there's there's certain people that I've met in life, and maybe you've you've had this experience too. They're just really really good at winsomely explaining the faith and presenting it to others, and, and they they'll say things like, "It seems to me that <laughs> that this this is the best course of action," or "It seemed to me that um, this faith, this Catholic Christian faith, has the most evidence behind it." because I think in some ways when you're talking to people, not that you want to leave room for, for, for doubt, but, but, but they, they do have doubts. And I think it's just, I think it's just trying to be humble, right? It's trying to be, present the faith in a, in a humble way. Uh, we do hundred percent believe it's true. And we, we have certitude about this and that's, what's so great about this. And he said that in his uh, night of fire, one of the things he wrote down, was certitude, certitude, certitude. He, he knows it. He knows that he knows that he knows. He knows it's true. He knows it's true intellectually. He knows in his heart. He knows in every fiber of his being that it's true. And he has that certitude. And that's a great gift. That's a great gift. He can, he can have that peace. But, but that is only because of God's grace. Because intellect alone is not going to get you there. It's not going to get you there. And so we, we have to beg God for our friends and family that they get this, this grace of faith and um and and it's it, intellect can help you for sure but it's it's not it's not the whole package so we've got to speak the truth in love and here's another thing that the pope said uh he said that uh, eventually pascal acknowledged jesus christ as the way the truth and the life but he says for this reason, I suggest that everyone who wishes to persevere in seeking truth, which is a never-ending task in this life, should listen to Blaise Pascal, a man of prodigious intelligence, who insisted that, apart from the aspiration to love, no truth is worthwhile. We make tr- this is, and then he quotes Pascal. Pascal said, "We make truth itself into an idol." For truth, apart from love, is not God, but his image. It is an idol which must in no way be loved or worshipped. End of quote. So we have to be really, really careful because, because we, we worship a person, yes. And, and Jesus says, I am the truth, but the truth is a person. The divine person of Jesus of Nazareth, right? So we've got to speak the truth in love, as St. Paul says in the New Testament. And um, and that's really, really important. So we, we got to get out of here. We got to take a quick break. We'll be back with your phone calls. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Be right back. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. 
Hey, welcome back to the program, 888-914-9149. We were just talking about the surprise letter that came out from the Vatican today about Blaise Pascal. Really cool stuff. Uh, we've got a link to it in the show notes. Uh, definitely check it out. We'll talk about some more tomorrow as well. But because it's Monday, we're kicking off a new week. I thought I'd talk to you about your friends. We need to have a little talk about your friends. Your three best friends at work, who also happen to be, by the way, your three biggest enemies that want to foil your plan and mess up your career. So what's interesting is that they, they aren't people. They're neurochemicals that live inside your body. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Uh, there's a great piece up at the Ness Labs website by Anne-Laura LeCunf, and uh, she talks about these neurochemicals, and they can help you be really, really productive like Blaise Pascal who did so many things and created so many amazing inventions. Um, and they can also make you a procrastinator and kind of shipwreck your, your goals. And, and it's really important to have goals. I'm sure that Pascal had a lot of goals. Uh, you have goals. It, it's great to be a goal setter because uh, without goals, you really can't can get off track. Personal goals, professional goals, spiritual goals, but very often things can get in the way of our target and not only are there external challenges to us reaching our goals, especially in the workplace, but there's also internal threats. And there are these internal battles that we have to fight against our brain. There are a lot of background, there's a lot of background processes happening in our brains that we're not always aware of. As, as she says in her article, we, you don't feel anything anytime a neuron fires in your brain. And you, have any, you don't really have any control over the activity in your brain. But these processes that happen, these neurochemicals, have a huge, huge impact on whether or not you reach your goals and how you feel when you're doing it. So here are the three frenemies that you've got, okay? Dopamine, noradrenaline, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to mess this up. Acetyl, acetylcholine. 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 I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but close enough. Close enough, says producer Jim. All right. So when I don't know if you've ever been in a state of flow. If you're in a state of flow and things are just just ticking along, the, these are really, really um, they they're, they've identified these chemicals when you're in a state of flow: dopamine, noradrenaline, and acetylcholine. Acetylcholine, <laughs> whatever it is. All right, but they're little tricksters. Okay, so what is dopamine? It's a neurotransmitter that plays an important role in your reward system. So it kind of rewards you. It's your brain's way of making you feel good to reward you to keep doing whatever it is that you're doing. So eating, for example, we're sort of wired to do things that keep us alive and to keep us going. So behaviors like eating, you get a lot of dopamine from this. It's, it's fun to eat. Um, marital relations. I don't think I need to say anything more about that. Uh, knowing your spouse in the biblical sense, that releases dopamine. Uh, playing video games, apparently. I, I don't do this anymore. I don't know if, Producer Jim, I don't know if you play video games, but I, I used to. Just sports games. I, I'm not into, like, all the stuff that's out there now, but I want to live in the real world, man, not the metaverse. But anyways, uh, that has also been proved. Maybe this is why they're so addictive. It, it releases dopamine. So dopamine can be kind of a double-edged sword. It can increase your productivity, also decrease it, depending on what's going on. Um, if you reach a professional goal, let's say you're a writer and you, you, you've reached your target, how many words you want to write in the last hour, boom, you get a hit of dopamine. 
But then you also get a hit of dopamine from things like social media notifications on your phone or something that you see online. You get a hit of dopamine. And that, that unfortunately, is, is not what you want to look for because that can keep you off track and keep you from hitting your goal. So you've got to set up your reward system in a way that's aligned with your goals. Uh, Dr. Craig Evans, friend of the show, a great biblical scholar, he used to tell me that. I was like, how did you write so much? He's written well over 100 books. And it's not just repeating the same stuff over and over again in different books. Um, he said, I used to have a donut, and I'd put the donut on my desk. And every time I wrote 25 pages or 50 pages, whatever, then I could eat the donut. Okay, so that's, that's an example of a reward that's aligned with your goals. So dopamine is your friend in that sense. But there's also noradrenaline. It's also called norepinephrine in the U.S. And this is called a neurotransmitter that makes you ready for action. It's very involved in the fight or flight response. Makes you very alert, makes you very vigilant. Now, this can be your friend when you have to hit a deadline. Uh, if you're a procrastinator by nature, uh, you might know that a deadline might be the only thing that gets you going, and then this noradrenaline really kicks in. I got to get this done. I'm up against a deadline. It's a, it's a fight or flight response. So now the problem is if you wait till the very end to, to, where well, you're stressed out, then it can be damaging, right? Because it also comes with a lot of stress. Um, and then acetylcholine, I know I messed that up again. That's the third neurochemical. It's the first neurotransmitter that was ever discovered, actually. It's all over the place in the nervous system, very abundant. And it's involved with everything from your heart rate to your digestion to your breathing. It also helps you focus, learn, and retain your memory. So this is positive if you've got good uh, increased uh, acetylcholine levels. It's, it has a positive perf uh, aspect on your performance. But if you have a deficiency, you'll have trouble focusing and remembering. Um, and, and by the way, people who have Alzheimer's disease, they have memory deficits, they, have, they, have a, they don't have enough of this stuff, this acetylcholine. So, so how, how, can you, how can you sort of make sense of all this that I'm telling you? Well, there's a person named Dr. Federique Fabritidis, Federique Fabritidis, Dr. Fabritidis, created a very handy framework, so you can remember this. Fun, fear, and focus. Fun, fear, and focus. So dopamine's your fun neurotransmitter. Noradrenaline is your fear neurotransmitter. And acetylcholine is your focus neurotransmitter. Okay, so fun is dopamine. Again, give yourself some sort of reward when you, when you hit your target. Um, sometimes the reward is the journey. You just really enjoy your work. That's interesting in itself. Okay, great. But um, sometimes you need an external reward as well. Like you might say, I'm going to go see that movie as a reward. I'm going to go see the new Spider-Verse movie uh, that I've been wanting to see. Or yeah, give yourself some sort of reward. The fear aspect. Um, that, that can be tricky. That can be tricky. Don't wait till the last minute before starting on a project. Um, Tell, help somebody, somebody, get somebody to help you with this. Tell your team, hey, I'm going to present my work to you on this at our next meeting. And then that'll, that'll ooh, that, that, that sort of gives you a little bit of pressure to get it done before the meeting. Helps you avoid procrastination. What about this focus neurotransmitter, acetylcholine? Well, there is some, it, it, the, the word itself, acetylcholine, includes the word choline. And you can actually get this from some food. Lean meats. Fatty fish, milk, yogurt, kidney beans, green beans. I had a can of kidney beans as a snack today. No, I'm kidding. Green beans, peas, broccoli. Eat your broccoli. It's good for you. Eat your trees. You can also get some, uh, some of this by exercising gently before you work. 
such as going for a walk. It can help you focus in your work. But if you go too crazy, if you try to run a half marathon before work, that can be bad. That can reduce your acetylcholine level. So fun, fear, and focus. Dopamine, noradrenaline, acetylcholine. All right. Just remember, fun, fear, and focus. That's all you need to know. All right. So Patrick Alog, we're going to bring you in here. Uh, producer Jim, can you play the winning putt from the U.S. Open? We got to see how our picks did. Win, okay. We, as he's pulling that up, Patrick Alog is coming in here, and he is going to give us the uh, sad news about how our picks turned out uh, for the U.S. Open. Uh, and here's the, by the way, here's the winning putt from Wyndham Clark. And now the stage is clear for Wyndham Clark. takes down all the stars in Los Angeles to win the United States Open. Oh, great, great call from Dan Hicks from NBC. Takes down all the stars in Los Angeles. He certainly did. And so Patrick Alog, all right, it's time to uh, to hit us with the bad news. How did our picks do? What do you mean bad news? Um, Jim's picks, he picked Jacob Solomon. He ended up mm-hmm. tied for 60th. Sergio Garcia tied for 27th. It was 1999. Sergio could have been a good pick, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, he did better than uh, your pick, uh, uh, Kale uh, Max Homa. He missed the cut. Missed the cut. Missed the cut. Well, After he had like contending three, on day he, one. He had three double bogeys, oh, and then in, in Friday, and then and then your guy, and then uh, your sleeper pick, Ricky Fowler, had the lead for the first three rounds and just collapsed on Sunday. Finished <sighs> tight for fifth. Yeah, he did. Poor Ricky. It, oh, Ricky, what it, a pity! And, okay, and then nice. my pick, my 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 uh, my winner pick, Victor Hovland. He was pretty much consistent throughout the whole week. Finished nineteenth, okay. and then out of nowhere, my sleeper pick Tommy Fleetwood had the brown of the day on Sunday. He climbed up all the way tied for fifth. So yes, I'm the winner. He, he he's the only man to shoot sixty three twice in the U.S. Open. So yeah, you're the winner. How about that, Tommy Fleetwood? Wow, and he he is uh, an incredible player, unbelievable. Finished second in the Canadian Open the week before, and uh, he was I think he was a little tired at the beginning of the tournament, but he came through for sure. Mm-hmm. Wyndham Clark, the guy whose first name is that of a hotel chain. His whole name sounds like a, a golf club, a country club in itself, the Wyndham Clark Country Club. Nobody knew who this guy was. Well, they know who he is now. He did win the Wells Fargo event earlier this year at Quail Hollow, tough golf course, but and lots of talk. You probably heard the beautiful story. His mom passed away at the age of 55 when he was in the university. It really hit him hard, and uh, he's had a struggle, but uh, he's, he's really playing well now. He's the champ, and you're all champs for listening to the K.O. Clark Show. We are out of time right now. Stay tuned. Jim Caviezel himself will be on Timory's show talking about his very, very important new movie. Stay tuned. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.